Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuele Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. And welcome to another episode. And today we will discuss with a change maker, her work, her experiences in the Arctic and her work on forever chemicals. We are pleased to host today, Elena Doms. She's the head of Earth Plus. Thank you so much, Elena, for being here with us today. Hi, Samuele. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. Elena, you have an impressive CV. You are now all over the forums. You are discussing in a meeting, you know, the, the people, a wide audience discusses sustainability. But as you, the usual question that we ask, who is Elena? Can you share your background? What also sparked your passion for sustainability? I was born and raised in the Arctic, right next to the polar circle. Spent 18 years there and actually haven't realized until very recently of how maybe different my childhood was because I remember dark, long polar nights, cold ones. I remember amazing northern lights. I remember being surrounded by ice, my mom dressing me up in layers of clothes, my dad carrying me to the kindergarten all the way in his arms so I don't get too cold. And I haven't realized how precious being surrounded by ice was until I started seeing it melt away. And that sparked my passion for sustainability because Arctic is warming four times faster than the rest of the planet. So when I compare how things were when I was a child and how things are now, they are very, very different. So that experience really showed me how important it is to protect the Arctic and how important climate action is all over the world. And the second thing that sparked my passion for sustainability on my two kids. I'm a mother and um, I have a degree in energy and climate. And after I learned everything, the science behind, I got very concerned about their future. And I want to make sure that they have a good future, like all the other kids in the world. And that's my second reason of working in sustainability. Um, I now live in Belgium. I've had a long corporate career, spent 11 years at MasterCard working on digital transformation and sustainability. And now I'm head of Earth Plus and we are, we are on a mission. What we want to do is we want to create the largest soil and CO2 cleanup in history with nature. And I'll make sure to share a little bit more about that. That is really wonderful. And the work, although I can see the work that you did, your experience in the Arctic that we see now is you see the, the tipping point and the, the melting of the ice. That is one of the clear demonstration, you know, for, for, and still we need, if we need it, that really we are in, in turbulent times. And one of the things I really like from, from you, it's your solution. You had another company, CBiotech, and then now you are working on Earth Plus. Really, you have focused on cleaning soils from forever chemicals with plants. So can you explain a bit? Because we know that we are all concerned on how much we have polluted the earth and also we have polluted our soils. So how you do it? So let me clarify something a bit. Cibiotech and Earth Plus, we work in partnerships. So we work together on the solution. And actually, um, the solution was inspired by the pilot last year. So a few years ago, there was a big scandal in Belgium around forever chemical contamination close to Antwerp. It was found high uh, close to the um, international chemical company. 
It was all over the news. It was found high in people's blood. They were advised not to pick the food from their gardens, eggs from the chickens. They uh, advised their children not to play outside in the gardens anymore. And this international chemical company was asked to look for solutions to clean up that pollution. And CEO of C-Biotech, Frederick Verstrater, together with Sophie Tess, uh, who is a postdoc at the University of Hasselt, they decided to run a pilot with this international chemical company to see if the pollution could be cleaned with plants. Now, we are not talking about the very hotspot of the pollution. The hotspot should be cleaned with traditional methods. Uh, because otherwise with nature it would take a very long time but they really focused on mid to low pollution in the areas around that was never economically feasible uh, to be cleaned and it was just staying over there otherwise scientists are concerned it would stay there for millennia so they focused on those types of grounds and they planted industrial hemp there now sophie she's an expert in cleaning soils with nature she has done lots of different projects and Frederick is very passionate about decarbonizing construction, and he saw that industrial hemp was used also to clean uh, Fukushima and Chernobyl. So that's why they decided to choose this plant, and they wanted to prove the impossible. Just to explain you how impossible that sounded like, this is the group of forever chemicals. It's called forever chemicals. So that means they do not decompose in nature, and scientists are worried that they will stay there for millennia. These chemicals were made to be indestructible because they're incredibly useful in consumer products. So they make them non-stick and water resistant. And that's why we can find them in a lot of our everyday items and there are no substitutes. That's why they're being produced. Uh, but the production process itself releases the pollution and that pollution can travel quite far. So it's been found in alarming doses in the Arctic ice, even in, in the blood of polar bears. So that's how far it can spread. These chemicals can only burn at 1,400 degrees. That's why they're called forever. And we cannot burn our soil, right? The traditional methods are mainly focusing on excavating the ground and putting it somewhere else. Uh, but if you look at the scale of pollution in Europe, there are thousands of contaminated grounds, the same in the US. And for the rest of the world, there is not even a map yet showing where the pollution is. But the water samples, they sometimes return 10 times higher contamination. So that means the soils are very polluted as well. So that's just to illustrate the scale of the of the problem and how impossible it sounds to be able to clean this pollution with plants in nature. Frederick and Sophie, they planted industrial hemp and they realized that hemp acted like a pump. It took out the pollution through the roots of the plant and it stored it in the leaves of the plant. The stems of the plant remained clean and so did the pollen of the plant because that was very important to prove for the bees. They didn't want to make sure that contamination spreads again and that it harms the bees either. And industrial hemp is loved by the bees. It's amazing for biodiversity as well. So they realized that only the leaves are polluted they split the leaves from the stems of the plant and they destroyed the leaves at high temperatures. But the stems were clean. And industrial hemp has amazing properties. That's why they actually also chose this plant because it grows very tall in just three months. It grows to three and a half meters. And in those months, it absorbs from the air four times more CO2 than a young forest in a year. So in three months, it does four times more than a young forest in a year. It's also incredibly versatile in terms of types of materials that you can produce out of it. You can make car bodies. Porsche, for example, produced a racing car body out of industrial hemp in 2019. 
you can make fishing nets out of it you can make clothes out of it but most importantly you can make construction materials and why that is key because construction emits 40 percent of our global greenhouse gas emissions and creates 30 percent of waste so hemp has amazing potential in terms of decarbonizing construction and making it circular they took the stems of the plants and they created hemp wood out of it and also they helped create bodies of circular ev chargers for the cars together with power station in belgium please don't think that this is a magic pill as i said we're talking about forever chemicals so for me to low contaminated ground sometimes it would take years or maybe dozens of years to clean it but in comparison of this chemical stain there for millennia in comparison to them intoxicating us and causing all kinds of diseases and in comparison to the future of our children i think it's an amazing solution because while in those years we were cleaning soils we're also massively reducing co2 by capturing it in the plants and putting it in the construction materials circular ones that has amazing potential to build our cities so when i looked into that pilot and uh, i knew frederick by then already he kept me updated i was like this is amazing this is this is what i want to do this is creating real impact and in parallel i also got really inspired by the ocean cleanup and boy slot who was you know cleaning up our oceans and i thought what if we do the same concept on land it's going to be difficult to showcase it because this pollution is invisible. But on the other hand, we're going to be doing amazing job for our future. And we can create a positive story of action together with lots of global companies to clean this pollution and to remove CO2 on massive scale. So that's what we do now with Earth Plus. It's really fascinating and to really see a solution that is a really win-win for people from the planet and also I think very profitable in a way. So I want to ask a bit deeper, you know, on Earth Plus and the work. So what, what are your plans? Where, now you have discussed the first, maybe low scale trial. Where do you want to take it? What are your plans on that? And where do you want to roll it out? That's why we came up with the concept of Earth Plus, because we realized the scale of the problem is so big and the solution is so important. This research pilot was amazing we have to take it global and we have to help clean up the world now we are not just focusing on forever chemical contamination we are focusing on other contamination too for example oil and gas spills they're even easier to clean with uh, plants than forever chemicals we're also focusing on restoring dry lands because hemp uses 90 percent less water than any other crop doesn't require pesticides it has really deep roots of one meter so it restores soils and very wide canopy so it prevents evaporation of water from the soils so we also want to help restore lands that were damaged because of the droughts and even if it's non-polluted lands we also work on unmanaged lands together with cities and companies so for example around company factories or in harbors or along the motorways in the cities where these lands are just standing there and we can use them to remove co2 and build local circular materials so these are different types of soils we're working on now in terms of partners that we're working with that could be international companies that could be cities that could be farmers and the governments as well because for example the belgian government is looking very closely into solving the PFAS issue and we are really focusing on local circular materials so the idea is not to grow industrial hemp in one side of the world and then shift it all the way to another one to build cities the idea is really to create local circular materials and I'll give you an example. We just started a project with the city of Locker in Belgium, where we planted industrial hemp on industrial grounds, and we will create local circular 
traffic poles out of it to put in the same city. And that's the goal. That's the way that we want to spread the concept everywhere. And of course, now we have several projects going on in Belgium with companies and cities. It's the seeding time as well, because the sun is out and the rain has stopped. Uh, so we can start our work here. But we're also working closely together with partners from different countries. So we have conversations in Australia, in the UK, um, in other countries. We're talking to different international companies where we can work together in different countries as well. And my dream is that we can soon launch projects all over the world. We're also building an impact dashboard where all our projects will be transparently visible uh, because we don't want it to be some kind of phantom concept. We want everyone to be able to go at the map to see where things are grown, what was the pollution before, what is it after, how much CO2 we have observed, how many local jobs we have created, which materials are made out of that, all the pictures, everything very transparently. So we're working on that global impact dashboard too and in a few months, uh, it should be live and we hope that we can put a lot of dots on that map in terms of the impact that we are creating. And it's really wonderful. Let me ask a, a question. Are you also looking to scale uh, your solution at the carbon market and uh, to really foster it or, or no? This is just a question that came to my mind when you see the absorbing the CO2 and the war. It will be also a way to finance it and make it even more affordable for cities, especially maybe I was thinking in emerging and frontier markets. So it's a very good question. I know the carbon markets had quite some controversy in the last year. It was a, a bit of a versatile time for them. But carbon markets are a way to finance nature restoration projects if they're done right. So definitely we are looking into that because we are logging this CO2 in construction materials or biochar. Biochar is one of our other projects as well. So we are looking into that. And that's why we are building this global impact dashboard because we want full transparency. When we launch carbon credits, we want everyone to be able to check that the project is there because what was the problem with carbon markets? The lack of transparency, that there were phantom credits that maybe were sold over a few times or over the forest that were not there anymore. We want this transparency, satellite images, complete proof of the fact that the carbon has been sequestered as well. And, and definitely that would be a way to help scale those projects and help financing, especially in the emerging markets. Fantastic. And the last question will be like, you said in the trial, you can use the stem, the flowers for the bees and everything. What do you do with the leaves, the one that they store the chemicals? So that depends. If you're talking about the polluted grounds, the leaves have to be destroyed at high temperatures because we have to destroy the forever chemical in it. Otherwise, if we let them compost, it's just putting the chemicals all the way back. So there we have to destroy them. If we grow hemp on non-polluted lands, like in lands in cities or around companies that don't have contamination, then we can use the full plant to build the construction materials. So then it's even more CO2 reduction and less work in terms of splitting the plant, but just using the whole of it. Thank you. And just, just a curiosity when you were discussing, and it's really interesting. So you can see it's it's a way, a simple way, in, 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 as I said, to, to destroy this forever chemical, I mean, and less impactful than the traditional removing the soil and then the excavators and movement. Exactly. You're very right. It's uh, less impactful because the traditional way of removing the soil and putting it somewhere else actually doesn't really clean it. It just moves the problem somewhere. And yeah, it also creates a lot of emissions and it's also very, very costly. But as I said, we are not there to 
there are other ways, right, to, to remediate hotspots, and we are not there to substitute the traditional hotspot cleaning. Uh, we are there to take care of the lands that right now are just sitting there, that nobody wants to clean because it's just way too expensive. And we bring the economic model to cleaning them while using nature, while restoring. I think that we often think that technology and engineering will solve all of our problems, but actually nature is extremely powerful. And according to WWF, in the last 10 years, nature removed 54% of man-made greenhouse gas emissions. So we truly believe that with nature, we can have a solution. We truly believe that if we use nature, if we help nature, if we restore nature, we can get ourselves out of the mess that we have created. Yes, indeed. Definitely. That is also the spirit of many of our episodes that we had before. Silly, restoring nature and really use what we have to really solve the issues. And really, you have now transitioned and you have worked now at many forums and war. So in, in your journey of uh, many discussions, you have been at many forums. So what has been the most rewarding project or experiences that you have done so far? So it took me a while to figure out what exactly impactful I can do. It was a question I've been asking myself for years. It became especially urgent during the pandemic, you know, when everyone had a bit of time to think and we started realizing that we are really impacting nature and ourselves in a way that shouldn't be the case. But definitely, I feel now with Earth Plus that that's something that I want to do further and that's something that really helps to create impact. This has been so far the most rewarding project. It was also a project that we created together with Frederic Restate, the CEO of Cbiotech. So it feels very differently when you're working on something that you help bring to life and something that you know and believe is really, really impactful on so many fronts. And it's really the journey of becoming a change maker on such a, I mean, I would say incredible mission, you know, to clean the soils, to, to really do restoration, to decarbonize construction, to absorb CO2. It's really a, a huge task. And you said also that you mentioned sometimes in one of the talks that you took you 10 years not to get into the sustainability field and the work. So what were the barriers that for you and Maybe which advice you can give to people that they want to maybe aspire to become a change maker like you? Which barriers do they have to overcome? For me, it took a while because first I thought I was missing education. So I did get an education, but that did not help me get any responses from from companies on my CV. Um, And then I thought that I need to get experience because... You know, companies are always looking for experience. And even though the amount of sustainability roles is growing really fast, I saw other people, you know, being lucky on getting them by chance. That was not my case. I thought, okay, I need to add experience now to my profile. And that was also really key. That's something that really helped. And the thing is, you can get experience anywhere. I started getting it internally in the company. I worked back then at MasterCard. So I approached a lot of executives and a lot of different departments with ideas. And I started doing a lot of projects that were on top of my role. But on the other hand, I was doing something that I really loved and I was getting experience in the process. I also reached out to different NGOs and entities outside of my work and started doing projects there too as a volunteer. So for example, I was a vice chair of um, innovation and sustainability subcommittee at MCHEM, where we worked with a lot of different companies to see how we can help scale sustainability. And little by little, I started getting that experience. But 
what also really really helped is getting out there and building a personal brand i realized that if no one knows that there is elena doms who is incredibly passionate about sustainability who has a degree in it who has experience in it and really wants to work in there if no one knows that i won't be able to transition into a role that makes impact and i started really using linkedin a lot i launched a podcast i was doing interviews with people i did a lot of networking started going to events as well and i also started to publish a lot of content in terms of sustainability there and that really helped create my personal brand so if we look at it backwards the first 10 years i was kind of hoping it would happen by itself yes i was applying for roles but i never got any response and when i really put my mind into it and, and said okay now is the time and i don't want others to waste that time either because we have seven years to cut our emissions globally by 50 percent so we don't have this 10 years of waiting right it's the action when you put your mind to it it's putting yourself out there it's getting that experience it's letting people know that you're really passionate about it and um i did a, a webinar also on to help people like that to get into sustainability it was called the five mistakes people make when getting into sustainability i'm happy to share the link if, if your listeners want to get on that journey and they need some tips and advice i'll readily share it the recording is available publicly on linkedin fantastic and this is something that also responds to the question that many people they ask to us and send to me it's really how, how we can get the job, how we can do something in sustainability. And this is also the way to learn, engage. And this also, our small drop is our journey here to, to really make and give voice to change maker like you. Maybe just, just let me add on top of that. A lot of people are very passionate about getting in sustainability. And they are, that's why I they did that webinar, because I also received a lot of questions. But ultimately, in the end, every job can be a sustainability job. And every job has to be a sustainability job in the future as well. So even if you are stuck in a job that you think you're not making an impact, think what type of projects you can do to make sure that you do something around sustainability. And that can be a start. It's just a shift in, in the mindset, but it helps to kind of get the creativity going. If it's IT, you can work on the servers, you can work on the website to make them more sustainable, right? You can look into emissions that are created by cloud services or by by those services and how to reduce them if you're working in marketing you can see how do i turn my marketing to sustainable marketing and how do i market the goods that are really good you know any job can be a sustainability job and that's something to take into account when embarking on this journey and thank you for so much for that it's your place every in every place we can do a sustainable choice and really work so we are approaching the end of the episode and one thing I wanted to ask before you know, we do our closing question and discussion is something that I stuck out from your, I must say, very polyedric profile. So you have done so many things from the Arctic. Now you are working on this mission. You have done uh, public speech and work. So one thing that really struck me. So you are also, I mean, a sportswoman. And you played also for the Belgian national team on a sport that I didn't know. It was underwater hockey. So a question that is also a bit more light, but not that light, because we know that this is also a good way to raise awareness and get to young people, you know, to, to be aware and work. So how do you see the connection between the sport and sustainability? So let me first clarify. I was not really a member of, of the national underwater hockey team for Belgium. By chance, I was on a couple of trainings because we went to a swimming pool together with a friend of mine and they said, oh, actually it's closed, but we are training here. Do you want to join? 
and um, because it's an unknown sport but a very cool one where you play hockey literally at the bottom of the swimming pool they said we are looking for new members to join our team because we don't have enough to go to the international traineeship so that's why we gave it a try together with my friend it was really cool to learn that and really cool to say that we actually trained with the belgian national team but i do other sports i do tennis i do cycling i see a very good connection between sports and sustainability and that's something that became even more evident to me in the last few years and i can illustrate that by something i heard from the interview with the world champion and the silver medalist of the olympic games in figure skating she said she doesn't focus on getting a medal or winning a championship every single day what she focuses on is on concrete small steps she can make on this every single day that will eventually lead her to that big goal and that's what works in sustainability as well it's not sprint climate change is not a sprint nature restoration is not a sprint it's a marathon and it's about choosing the small steps we can make every day eventually to get us there because it's an incredibly ambitious goal we are in you know not a very good situation in terms of climate tipping points uh, overshooting planetary boundaries and everything so when we see how much work we need to do sometimes it can be overwhelming but what we can do each one of us can do is focus on those small steps we can do every day and this day it can be skipping meet once on the other day it can be launching a new project at work on the third day it could be educating someone on sustainability so they know better but it's about those steps that we can do not once but really every day and for me this is a connection between sports and sustainability and it's really wonderful i can see the connection from your you know as you said a decade or more to clean the soil with the damp you know, it's not definitely a sprint, but it's a long run, a long marathon, which helps, you know, in the future and, and, and really recreating and restoring nature. It's a patient work, not very visible because you cannot see those chemicals, but we know how hurting they are and how bad they are for our health and for our soul and for our planet. Just to highlight that, there was a study that came out, I think, a couple of weeks ago that global healthcare costs related to forever chemicals are 17.5 trillion US dollars per year. So to illustrate which impact it has on our health when it just accumulates in our bodies and causes diseases, it's, it's really a very big but invisible issue that is out there to solve. And, and you can see those things we don't see, but those are the ones that are harming us so and our nature. So th that is your work and we really wish, I mean, from the fast trial now, the scaling up and the war now with the, the Belgium uh, city, the, the second big trial and work and, and the others, I can really see the movement moving on and really getting a sustainable solution for that. And I know the people that are listening to us all over the world, I'm sure they're excited to learn more and see. We will put also in the link the webinars and things, but I'm sure they are. They want to ask. Elena, you are really inspiring from your story and we want to take some action. So. What is the first step? Some you already said, but what's the first step we can do to contribute to a more sustainable future? I think the first step is getting yourself acquainted or educating yourself on the things that matter most. For example, we can say, I plant a tree. That would be amazing. It solves all the issues, right? But it's important to know that to offset lifetime emissions of one person, we need up to 10, 12,000 trees. Of course, it depends on the country, but it's a lot, right? And we need gazillion of trees all over the world. That's why knowing which actions bring the most impact is the first step. 
there are a lot of research in terms of individual actions that we can take and what brings the most impact. The same for companies. It's the scope three emissions, of course. There is a pathway from IPCC in terms of getting to 1.5 degrees limits within the Paris Agreement. And they showcase which solutions need to be implemented, all of them, but they show the kind of the impact that they create. So education first is key, knowing what you can focus on that will bring the most results. And then it's a matter of making a choice, either as an individual or it's your work, to go out there and focus on those key things. And fantastic, really. Take action, follow the journey, follow Elena and her wonderful work in uh, restoring and cleaning up our soils. And I'm sure maybe in one year we can see where Earth Plus has gone and see your wonderful story and the impact all around the world. Thank you, thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure and honor hosting you. Thank you so much, Samuel. It was really lovely speaking with you today. And I do truly hope that by next year we'll manage to clean soils in all parts of the world. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.